welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. President Donald Trump issued an executive order to keep the prison at Guantanamo Bay in Cuba open. He made the announcement during his State of the Union address. I'm asking Congress to ensure that in the fight against ISIS and al-Qaeda, we continue to have all necessary power to detain terrorists wherever we chase them down, wherever we find them. And in many cases, for them, it will now be Guantanamo Bay. It's a major reversal of the policy of former President Barack Obama, who had ordered the detention facility be put on a path to closing and the terrorist suspects held there tried or transferred to facilities elsewhere. European allies and Muslim leaders, among others, have expressed strong opposition to how detainees have been held at Guantanamo without charges and in grim condition. Joining me is Jay Wells Dixon, a senior staff attorney at the Center for Constitutional Rights. Wells, the facility holds only 41 prisoners now, and no new prisoners have been sent there since Trump was elected. Is there a reason to keep it open? There is no good reason to keep it open. I think, unfortunately, the president's decision to keep it open, as surprising as unsurprising as it is, you know, is really confirmation of his willingness to pander to his shrinking political base at the expense of national security and human rights. Because there is no, um, there is no reason, actual foreign policy reason or national security reason to keep it open. Quite, quite the contrary. So, President Obama tried to have Guantanamo closed and failed after some seven years. Are there practical problems with closing it? Well, there's a lot of blame to go around when it comes to the fact that Guantanamo is still open, but. I think it's important to recognize that it was the policy consensus of both President Obama and President Bush that the prison at Guantanamo needs to be closed, right? And and Donald Trump's uh, decision to to make it the formal policy of the United States to continue to detain Muslims there forever uh, is really very significant. Um, because, you know, even if, even if you don't prioritize human rights, uh, they're, uh, keeping Guantanamo open undermines our national security, right? Consider, the president talked about ISIS. Consider the fact that ISIS invokes the very existence of Guantanamo as a recruiting tool, right? ISIS and other terrorist groups use the propaganda value of Guantanamo to recruit new members to attack us. So keeping the prison open is really counterproductive. Now, the 41 detainees that are there, have they been tried? Almost no one at Guantanamo has been tried. You know, there, are, there have been a total of 780 Muslim men and boys held at Guantanamo since it opened 16 years ago. And, you know, more people have died at Guantanamo than have been convicted there. I mean, Guantanamo is really a complete failure when it comes to prosecuting alleged terrorists. And, um, it, you know, the, the, uh, that's not going to change, right, because it is endemic to 
um, to a prison that was designed to be entirely outside the law. I mean, you know, the for example, the 9-11 case has been going on for years and years at Guantanamo, and we are nowhere near the actual start of that trial. I mean, it's been a complete failure, and if, you know, if, if I were... Um, a uh, 9-11 victim or a family member of a victim, I would be outraged that the, uh, the alleged perpetrators of, of that terrorist attack continue to be held in Guantanamo rather than be tried in federal court. Um, President Trump, during his speech, and I take it he was referring to the prisoners who have been released from Guantanamo, said, we foolishly released hundreds and hundreds of dangerous terrorists only to meet them again on the battlefield, including the ISIS leader al-Baghdadi, who we captured, who we had, who we released. Uh, what about that? Have, have some of the people released come back to fight against the U.S.? Well, President Trump's statements in that regard are absurd. For one thing, al-Baghdadi was never held at Guantanamo. Uh, Al-Baghdadi was held in Iraq, and he became radicalized because of what the United States did to him in detention, first of all. Second of all, the, the, the claim that detainees who have been held at Guantanamo uh, have gone on to do bad things after their, their release is wildly overstated, right? Uh, the Director of National Intelligence publishes figures, uh, statistics on this issue, and has said that you know, less than 5% of the individuals held at Guantanamo who were released by President Obama have gone on to do anything contrary to the interests of the United States. The other thing I'll say about it is, you know, if a former detainee writes an editorial, for example, in the New York Times criticizing American foreign policy, that gets held against them. I mean, they get put on that list as a consequence of that. Um, so you have to be very skeptical. But, you know, even if you're not a skeptic and you're, you're inclined to believe the government, take them at their word when the director of national intelligence says the figure is less than 5%. Statistically insignificant. There's been a lot of discussion about an Apple software update released in early 2017 that slowed older model iPhone models. But apparently, there wasn't enough discussion by Apple before the software update. The Department of Justice and the Securities and Exchange Commission are investigating whether Apple violated securities laws by not making proper disclosures about the software update, according to people familiar with the matter. An Apple spokeswoman told Bloomberg News that it has received questions from some government agencies and is responding to them. My guest is Omri Ben-Shahar, a professor at the University of Chicago School of Law. Omri, will you first describe the slowdown and Apple's response? Yes, Apple admitted that the software updates deliberately slowed down the performance of old iPhones. They explained, according to the apology that they posted online, that these slowdowns were meant as an upgrade, not as a derogation of the service. They were intended to stop the unintended shutdowns of, of phones with old batteries. So rather than force people to replace batteries, they said we would slow down the phone and avoid that. Of course, the result was that people had to replace not the batteries, but the phones, not knowing that the problem is all, all stems from 
a software update. Now, are Justice and the SEC looking at the same or different possible violations of the law? So, you know, securities fraud here is kind of a byproduct or an echo of the fraud that is alleged to have occurred in the product market. There are, by the way, now many class action lawsuits and investigations by state attorney generals for the possibility of fraud committed by Apple in the product market against consumers. At the same time, whenever there is such fraud in the product market, it affects the stock price, and Apple was bleeding. So it made statements to the public and to their investors about what they did and why. If these statements were in some sense incomplete, fraudulent, misleading, that could lead to also this echo of securities uh, liability. Here's Apple CEO Tim Cook's explanation. He told ABC News earlier this month that when the company put out the software update, we did say what it was, but I don't think a lot of people were paying attention, and maybe we could have been clearer. Is that a good enough excuse to avoid legal action? I don't think so. I mean, if you look clearly, yes, Apple said things, and in their contract with consumers in the 17 page of tiny fine print, 10,000 words. There is a statement that says something like, we don't warrant, yada, yada, yada. You know how these things go. So they said it in the contract, but they also created a completely opposite impression for people when they recommended upgrades. Those little flashes that you get on your phone or a MacBook that constantly ask you to upgrade and suggest upgrades are full of all sorts of junk notices that prompt people to do things. But the one thing that is not was not said to people in these occasions is, hey, if you do that, by the way, your device will no longer be as functional as it used to be. So, you know, to let people have the real choice. That failure is more than an oversight. This isn't the first time that Apple has been accused of deliberately throttling the performance of its older phones. One accusation has been that Apple deliberately slows down the old phones to make people buy the new phones. Apple denies that. Has there ever been any proof of this planned obsolescence? Well, you know, the tech blogs are full of, of discussion about, <clears throat> sorry, about the planned obsolescence of uh, phones. It just seems a little too much of a coincidence that as soon as devices, new devices, a new generation of devices is rolled out, the um, software of the old devices is uh, slowed down in a way that would obviously increase the demand and ring Apple's cash register uh, for new phones. Uh, so the, this is kind of circumstantial. I don't know that there is any stronger evidence than that, but securities class action litigation as well as consumer litigation could try to smoke these things out. As you mentioned, so Apple is facing at least eight class action lawsuits in federal courts in New York, California, and Illinois, and one in Israel. So what are the allegations there? The allegations there would be primarily... A deception, that Apple violated consumer protection laws that require them to give people the full truth, not just part of the truth. There is, you know, there are precedents for these, for businesses trying to prompt people to do, to buy, to purchase more products that are not needed. And the courts have found, often in the past, that in such situations there is deception, there is fraud, and if there is fraud, then there will be damages under state consumer 
protection laws that could be very high. And I have to say, well, I think that many class actions regularly filed against tech companies are frivolous. This one seems uh, quite uh, meritorious. Well, now, going to that point, as part of its public apology, Apple cut the prices of battery replacements in its stores from $50 from uh, to $29, which was a $50 discount. Would consumers get more than that realistically in a class action? I mean, often you get coupons or, you know, reimbursements or some coupon for something in the future. And here there's already a $50 discount that Apple's given. Yeah, that's a very good question. I think our class action apparatus does not do well in terms of getting money into the pockets of consumers. It does do well in in terms of getting money out of the pocket of businesses. If Apple gets to pay into whatever fund, to the lawyers, and somewhat to the consumers, it could be expensive, especially if statutory damages are triggered. It's going to be hard to identify the exact uh, uh, user's who were deceived, and therefore these class actions are not going to be as easy to, to succeed in uh, overall. But the, the possibility is there for significant bill for Apple, legal bill. So, Omri, about a minute here. The government has requested information from Apple, according to people who asked not to be named. What kind of information would these agencies be looking for? Is it a smoking gun memo or something less? The uh, that's a good question. It's you know that Apple keeps insisting that what it did was in good faith, that it was not their intent to increase the demand for new devices. It was just to help consumers avoid unplanned shutdowns of their phones. That is the question because under many of these statutes that create liability, the question is what was Apple's intent, and uh, I think that the information that the government and the plaintiff's lawyers are trying to get out is information about what was going on, what was Apple thinking about. All right, about 30 seconds, yes or no answer here. Uh, How likely is there to be an enforcement action here? Uh, Actually, not yes or no, one to ten. Yes, not probably not enforcement action, but yes, long dragging class actions and eventually probably a very large settlement. All right. Thanks so much. That's Amri Ben-Shahar, a professor at the University of Chicago School of Law. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.